0: That's investher, H-E-R, con.com, promo code 100 best ever to get $100 off your ticket. You don't want to factor in how much does it cost to get fixed up, what are my holding costs, and then make an offer price subtracting that stuff. Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure. Free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name. Episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for, or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And he is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners. Go to AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Now I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free and free. Then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely one that being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company, and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that, adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff. And today it's Friday. So we're going to do this special segment, Follow Along Friday. And I'm with my friend and co-host for the segment, Steel Hicks. Theo, hello. How's it going, Joe? It's going well. And also with our mascot, Jack. The Yorkie who has been on a hunger strike over the last week or so, but now he's eating again. I don't know what he was protesting, but he is now officially <laughs> eating ground turkey and all is well in Jack's world, too. So, Theo, how do you want to approach today? So, you've got a new deal you're closing on as of
1: today is recording, so it'll be two days when they should post this, two days prior, and... Like most of your deals, you will usually, after you're done or at least towards the end of then, you'll go back and analyze any, any lessons that you've learned that you're going to apply moving forward. Yep. And today the topic is around finding deals in the hot market. Yeah. But just, I guess let's go over the lesson that you've learned and maybe some more details yeah. on the deal based off of that.
0: Yeah, so let me, let me tell you a story about it. We have actually two deals that we're closing. One is today and the other is in a week and a half on April the 3rd. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I'm mentioning both those deals because that's what ties into how to find a deal in a hot market. And the answer to that is you have to create the opportunity. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to get more specific on what create the opportunity means. There was a deal that was highly publicized and marketed by a broker. It was an on-market deal. And we loved the deal, but because it was marketed, the price kept getting pushed up, pushed up, Mm -hmm. and pushed up. So we weren't sure if it made sense to purchase because of how competitive it was. So what we did is we looked across the street, and we saw another apartment community. And the apartment community that was highly marketed is over 300 units— and it is primarily one-bedroom apartments. The one across the street, over 200 units, and it's primarily two- and three-bedroom apartments. Okay. So they naturally complement each other very well. And we have a very good relationship with one of the brokers in Dallas, and he actually knew the apartment owner across the street. There you go. He reached out to that apartment owner across the street And we negotiated to purchase not only the on-market deal at the price that it was going for, but the off-market deal at a significant discount because it was an off-market deal. Mm. So we could afford to buy the on-market deal at a price that we're still comfortable with, but it was really at the threshold of comfort level because we would have economies of scale from operations, mm-hmm. management, maintenance staff, etc., plus a natural referral source because you got one bedrooms and one apartment and two bedrooms and three right across the street. And we are closing on one of those, actually the two and three bedroom one mm-hmm. today. And we are closing on the primarily one bedroom one on April the 3rd. And that is how... In a hot market, you find deals. You don't just look at what the brokers are giving you, but get creative and look at what else is around there. And maybe you can package two in one Mm, transaction. And I can tell you that nobody on the face of this earth was doing that for this deal. Everyone was looking at the on-market deal, but they weren't looking at other stuff. And if they had then they might have seen the same thing we saw as a natural opportunity to combine the two from an operations standpoint, and the numbers are working out really well. And I can also tell you that we had never purchased two simultaneously before, and we had to go through our own personal kind of self-reflection. Like, okay, if we get this one deal, then can we really pull it off from an equity standpoint If we have both deals, we know we can do one, but can we really deliver? And we just had faith based on our track record of delivering on every other deal. And lo and behold, we actually had one investor who has invested with us in the past on multiple deals. He put in all the equity that we needed for both of them, minus the money that we're putting into it as well. So it was a learning experience across the board. From how you find deals in hot market, you create opportunities, and also when to strategically stretch yourself based on the situation at hand. We're closing today and we'll be closing on another in a week and a half. It's
1: an amazing story. And it's so interesting that out of all the people that were competing on that deal, they didn't think about asking about the deal across the street. My question on that is how did that kind of come to be? Was it, you know, you were there visiting it and said, oh, there's an apartment across the street? Let's just reach out to that guy, or did the broker mention it to you that he knew the guy that owned the apartment across the street, or how did that kind of come about?
0: It was my business partner Frank's idea, and he, I believe, reached out to the broker directly, or maybe the broker was talking to him about the guy who he knew, or hey, there's another deal across the street if you want to come 2 I'm not exactly sure how it transpired. The takeaway is... To, one, have the right team members. Yeah. But then, two, have the right relationships in the market. Because if we didn't have the relationship with that broker, then we wouldn't have purchased the deal across the street. And most likely, we wouldn't have purchased the one that was on market either. Because it wouldn't have been as healthy of a return. Okay. And so, as you're buying those two properties,
1: as you mentioned, based on the economy of scale, the deal itself made sense. Whereas, if you were just buying the one on-market deal... It might not have made sense because of the higher expense for yeah. the. How do you guys calculate that when you're underwriting it?
0: Economy of scale difference. There are certain items on expenses that can have efficiencies. One of them is the lead maintenance person. Instead of having one person on site and you're paying him 50000 per property, you can now split that cost across two properties because it's literally across the street. Mm -hmm. There are economies of scale for marketing and advertising, that's for sure. And I'd say especially, you also have the leasing staff, salaries and commissions. And then you also have the ability to just have the natural referral source because it's one bedrooms primarily, like 291 bedrooms at one property and about 180 two- and three-bedrooms on the other property. These two properties just naturally made sense because of the unit mix, and that's something you've got to look at as well. (laughs) It's not just, okay, there's two properties next to each other. Let me buy both. They've got to complement each other really well, and we are not combining them into one property So we're not renaming them to one property. And the reason why is because even though they're directly across the street and you could probably throw a football from one driveway to the other driveway, it's a really busy street. So we're not going to have our leasing agent take a golf cart (laughs) and tour it with prospective residents because it would be like Frogger. But instead, we're going to have two separate properties but then just refer them back and forth and be completely connected through the on-site management and know who's sending who to where. So there's a conduit to scale, but then also because these two fit naturally, we're able to cut down significantly on the marketing and, mm-hmm. and lease-ups. Do you think this strategy or this concept
1: applies just as well to smaller duplexes or or fourplexes like for example if i'm going to buy a duplex in an area and it's on market and i see you know a bunch of duplexes across the street Mm -hmm. and maybe the numbers make sense but it's a stretch kind of like this situation but there's a duplex across the street that's off market would it make sense to reach out to them if i can get that for a lower deal
0: Mm -hmm. or for a lower price would the economy of scales i guess apply to that too that's a good question well when we're talking duplexes at that price point you also want to consider the type of financing because you might get a better loan for a higher amount of money being financed. Yeah. Therefore, it might not be as much on the operations, although certainly, I mean, talk to any property manager who manages one house versus 30 houses, and she'll tell you, yeah, you get some economies of scale with 30 mm-hmm. houses, and in fact, some property managers won't take on a new customer or new landlord who just has one house because it doesn't make financial sense yeah that's that's, right? that's, that's big there too. yeah but then so i'm sure it would make sense it would help them at least lower the management fee if they're not managing the properties mm-hmm. because they're bringing more income to the property management company at minimum it would do that if they're not managing themselves but then also it could help with the debt financing being more favorable because you tend to get better terms the more you borrow. Yeah, or something that's really, really small, but if you've got two properties right across
1: the street from each other and you're managing it yourself, it'd be easier just to drive to the one property, walk across the street, oh, do yeah. whatever you got to do instead of having to you know, drive across town multiple times. But it's a smaller one if you take gas money and then time. But
0: Yeah, it's true. Well, And vendors who you contract yeah. out, they would be probably cheaper. They might have a fee for just showing up. And if you have two properties next to each other, then there is one fee for showing up versus multiple fees because they have to drive from this place to two miles down the road. That could be certainly some real dollars that are being saved if they're all within the same area. That's a great question because I didn't think about that for smaller deals and maybe I'll think about that for my personal portfolio too instead of looking at just a couple that are on the market, also look at right across the street and try and get that. The challenge is with the smaller deals, especially if we're talking single-family homes, Mm -hmm. you very well could be dealing with a primary residence person versus an investor, and then it's a totally different conversation. But if if there's groups of four-plexes or whatever... Then, yeah, and I can tell you one of my friends, Jared Sturm Mm -hmm. and Andy Sturm, who have both been on the podcast before, and they have a 30 or 40 unit in Mm -hmm. Cincinnati, and they are buying, I believe, 12 units, and it's three fourplexes (laughs) right across the street from their larger Mm -hmm. property. Okay. And it was that same thing where they bought a place and they ride right across the street. They saw it made sense. And I believe they're actually adding those 12 units into their current portfolio on the loan. They're just rolling those units into the, the same loan that they have with the community bank. So all sorts of creative ways. We just have to actually create opportunities and have an abundance mindset and don't look at deals the same way everyone else looks at the deals. Otherwise, you're going to have the same price that everyone else has and you're going to be competing based on price and you want to compete based on value and how you compete based on value is you're the only game in town to that particular seller and you're able to combine that with a deal like what's on market. Awesome.
1: I kind of changed subject but something else that I wanted to at least bring up on this conversation was I was underwriting a deal from one of your clients and we ran into a situation where he had a property that was 50% vacant but no one living in it the owner had $20,000 in delinquent taxes, mm. and it had a lot of deferred maintenance. I can't remember what the fourth one was, but it wasn't stabilized at all, and it was not stabilized anywhere near in the past at mm. all. So it was kind of like, how do you underwrite that loan? And I had no idea. And we asked your partner, Frank, and he gave us an answer, which I thought was very interesting and I wanted to share with everyone just so if they run into similar situations. So essentially what he says is kind of like a, we'll call it a four-step process or a five-step process. And so the first thing you want to do is you want going to find the value of the property if it were fully operational and fully stable. So fully stabilized is 90% occupancy, correct? Something around those lines and getting market rent. So figure out what that price is, the NOI, you get the cap rate, you can calculate the, the value of the property. So that's step one. Step two is find out how much it will cost to cure all the deferred maintenance or renovations to get up to fully operational and stable. And then you'll have a number there. So we're gonna get two numbers. Next, you wanna find out how long it will take from purchase price to stabilization. So let's say let's say you figure it's gonna take a year, to get all the renovations done and get it to 90% occupancy. So there's a dollar value which you can calculate based off of that, that year time span. And he said, find out essentially how much money the project will lose during that time. So from my perspective, I was thinking like basically lost rent mm-hmm. that you're gonna lose plus the amount of money you're spending on the loan. And, and I'm, not, I'm not sure what the, what the word for that is, but all those costs, mm-hmm. holding costs, I guess. Mm-hmm. So now you've got got the third number. And essentially what you want to do is take that, so your max purchase price for that property is going to be the first number that stabilized value of the property. Then you subtract out all of the deferred maintenance costs that you budgeted for. And then you're also going to subtract out the stabilization expense loss. And so that holding cost. And that's how you figure out what your max purchase price is. For this specific example, there was the added expense of the delinquent taxes. And so he said make the seller pay that that tax, mm-hmm. that tax lien before we buy the property. If not, that's another expense to subtract from, in order to calculate a max purchase price. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was very interesting because, obviously when we think about writing the numbers, we get rent rolls and the previous 12-month expenses, but for this situation, that's impossible to do. Mm-hmm. And, and obviously you don't want to just make up a number in your head and be like, oh, I'm going to buy it for this number, I'm going to buy it for whatever it's listed for, because again, the list price doesn't matter. And, At least to me, it seems kind of a fast way to do it, but from my perspective, it sounds like it's the best way to calculate a purchase price Mm -hmm. for a property that's kind of (laughs) in disarray like that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah.
0: Yeah. For fix and flippers who are listening, they're like, this sounds very familiar. Because it's true, right? Because if you're buying a distressed house, then you need to know what is the after repair value. That's a good point. And then once you know the after repair value you need to know how much is it going to cost to put into the property. And once you know how much you put into the property, then how long will it take my crew to do that? Mm-hmm. and what's the holding cost, hard money costs, whatever? Yeah. And then I also want to make a profit on the flip. So what do I need to buy it for knowing that those are the costs involved and this is a yeah. time frame. and we're doing that on a larger scale. with a multifamily property. There's certainly a lot of similarities with single and multifamily deals. And from a distress standpoint, I mean, it shows right there, the couple challenges for this scenario that would need to be identified. One is even though you know what the stabilized income would be, you also need to know what the current cap rate is for the market, mm-hmm. the prevailing cap rate for the market, because otherwise you wouldn't be able to come up with valuation on what it would be stabilized. And then also there will be an art and a science to the holding costs while you're renovating it, because there's all sorts of tricky things that can come up with CapEx expenditures, depending on the type of renovations. Ask any fix and flipper what happens, you need to open yeah. up a wall... A big black hole of where you dump money into usually yeah. takes place. So there are some more unknowns and you have to factor those unknowns into your purchase price, your acquisition price, because what you don't want to do is you don't want to factor in how much does it cost to get fixed up? What are my holding costs? And then make an offer price subtracting that stuff without actually subtracting the profit that you also want to make on the deal because we could be so excited about wanting to get a deal and we're like well this deal does make sense because it's and this is the purchase price but also subtract out your profit that you want to make from it yeah because you're doing a bunch of work because you also got to take a look at okay after I do all this stuff, go through zoning approvals or getting permits and all this stuff over this period of time, and I've done all this work, wait a second. Is this actually the same profit I'd be making on a stabilized property yeah. <laughs> if I just bought a stabilized yeah. property? So you have to factor that in. Yeah. And a lot of times people get so caught up in, oh, it's a good deal because it's a stressful well, timeout make sure you're factoring in the profit you want to make because it might be, at the end of the day, the same profit you're going to make if you just buy a freaking stabilized property. Yeah. It seems like this formula, you need
1: to add in some sort of contingency percentage as well as just like that. Because when you compare it to fix and flip, I was like, I am not even thinking about that before. <laughs> I, know about, I know about that formula because it's basically the exact same thing. Yeah. You need to add in basically what equity do you want to earn based off of your the, yeah. the work you put in. So, yeah, it looks like i got a couple of things to add to this formula and
0: send it to client yeah absolutely cool well lastly we'll mention that i just got good news literally a text message Mm -hmm. right before we started recording we most likely have been awarded another deal in the dallas fort worth area most likely again it's just just got a text and i need to have a conversation but we had a best and final call yesterday Mm -hmm. with the seller and the seller's representatives that went well and we received some initial good news today and um, I'm actually right after we get done with this I'm going to jump on a call and talk through that and see where we're at but uh, that that would be really exciting if we do get awarded this deal it will be a very nice property and more to come on that because I want to make sure that everything's aligned and set up, but that, that's something that's pretty cool because we've been making a, a lot of offers and just haven't been able to get to the purchase price that have been winning deals, and we found this one, and it made sense, and so looks it like, looks pretty good. On the top of your
1: head, I don't put on an exact number, but how many offers did you put in? Since your last offer got accepted, how many offers did you put in before this deal came okay. out? Just to give people an idea of how many offers probably you're
0: putting in. The larger number is how many deals we receive. We've received probably 100 within the last two and a half months since the last time we closed on a deal. Okay. And we've made, I'd say, about 15 to 20 offers, okay. LOIs, letters of intent. And we've been investing and final rounds about four to five times, but we haven't budged or didn't budge enough on for what they wanted they went with someone else uh, in some cases significantly more than what we're offering in other cases not as much and so 100 to 20 or so 20 okay and then um and then we're, we're making it off we're in best and final on a handful and now we're getting accepted on this one one out of
1: five are you're putting in offers on and then one out of 25 actually getting involved in the last steps, and then 1 out of 100, mm-hmm. you're most likely accepting. So I, I just want to just for myself personally to know that for how many deals it takes to find one. I'm not just like sitting here and then a the deal comes like, oh, per- no, it's not even yeah. like, 100% hit rate. Click, not click, even close. Click, click
0: <laughs> the purchase. Yeah, I like that. There's a yeah. big button in my computer that's says purchase. You do know, just purchase it. <laughs> that's exactly right. Uh, not, not quite. It is a process. That ratio also will be dependent on your team's track record. Because the more we do deals, the more likely our offers are going to be accepted because of our track record. I mean, The call yesterday went really well and they were very impressed with our track record in that market. So our sellers are likely going to go with people who have experience in that market. And that's not rocket science. I just say that for the point of the ratio. The ratio is a little bit more favorable for us than someone starting out but not as favorable for us than someone who has more deals completed in a particular market than us okay so cool well theo anything else where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you uh is my podcast
1: i took a little hiatus from it but i'm back i'm gonna try to make making a commitment now i'm trying to do two podcasts a week wow two episodes I'm, a week I'm up, I'm up in the ante because i didn't want i, I didn't want did on monday for the first time in a while and it, it just feels so good just, yeah just, just doing it and just kind of speak in your truth. And so that's kind of the goal. And if you're interested, TheoHicks.org. I post them
0: Mondays, and I'm going to tell you Mondays and Thursdays. There is fulfillment in creation, not maintenance. That's for sure. So when yeah. we create <laughs> stuff, we get fulfilled, we get excited. When we just maintain things, it's not as exciting or fulfilling. That's or or sure. just consume. Too. Or just consume, especially all the freaking facebook candy and instagram stuff just candy for your mind it's not actual substantive stuff for your mind that helps fuel by the way on that note i didn't expect to mention this but if you're looking for a freaking phenomenal book oh man one of my clients sent me this last night i got it at like 3 or 4 p.m yesterday i picked it up at the post office and I am about 20 pages away from finishing it. And that's how phenomenal this book is. It's Mistakes Millionaires Make Mm -hmm. by Harry Clark. Okay. Holy cow. Everyone, buy this book and read it. This book, it's 30 stories about mistakes millionaires have made, and they're real stories. There's millionaires are telling the stories in this book. There's commentary, really intelligent commentary, and they are very strategic mistakes that the millionaires made that will come up in our real estate investing ventures from over-leveraging to mezzanine financing to acquisitions or deals that they just had some unethical people yeah. in. Working with the government and how the government can just steamroll you. They have unlimited financing if you get on their bad side. They've talked about the scooter store for elderly people or people who are needing a scooter to get around and how that company just got steamrolled by the government. Mm. It is a phenomenal book. also awesome. highly recommend buying it, Mistakes Millionaires Make. And I'm going to uh, finish it. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you. adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Are you a real estate investor and you're trying to do it all yourself? Then you gotta stop the insanity, my friend, and go hire virtually. Virtual Office VA is a US-based and trained real estate virtual assistant company. They can free up your time. You can go to their website, learn what they're all about, and go sign up for a virtual assistant. Go to virtualofficeva.com. That's virtualofficeva.com.